0: Amen. All right, we're going to jump into week two of our Come and See series, Christmas series. Um, We talked last week about Zechariah and the uh, time of preparation that that God had before Jesus was being born. And we're still in that time of preparation, right? We're not to Christmas yet. And I want to continue on in our look in Luke chapter 1. Last week was about Zechariah. Today it's about Mary. All right, and so we're going to look in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. All right, so let's just break this verse down a little bit and and talk about a couple things. And the first is the town Nazareth. All right, Nazareth, it says, "a town uh, in, in Galilee. Bible scholars describe Nazareth as this, remarkably unremarkable, all right? There was nothing to it. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. The first time it's mentioned is right here, okay? So there's not a lot to the town of Nazareth, and and it's just like the Lord to use a remarkably unremarkable town to attach the name Jesus to, and also to hand-select this young girl to be Jesus' mother. A remarkably unremarkable town. It's 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee, and it's six miles from the nearest like, main road, okay? Not, not like a little dirt path road, but an actual road, six miles from there, all right? If you live at the beach, right, you can relate to this. Like, I ain't going six miles, right? Like, if, 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 if you live at the beach, you have to really seek the Lord about going to St. John's Bluff, right? Or Kernan, like, I don't know, I'm going to lay this at the Lord's feet and I'm just going to back up and really see if this is his will. Because I ain't trying to drive six miles west. Can I get an amen from anyone at the B? All right, that's right. Like, we really go to the Lord on this, right? Not how much we spend on vacation or anything like that, but driving six miles west? Yes, Lord, we will seek your will over this decision. And that's us with cars, with ACs and stereo and all that stuff, all the bells and whistles. These are people that live in Nazareth have to walk six miles just to get to the road, to get to where they're going. So chances are, if you live in Nazareth, you're kind of camping out. You're not really going to leave Nazareth. Remarkably unremarkable. It's got one weak well in the middle of the town, not even a nice well. Okay, so it's not somewhere on the map that you're really trying to get to. And if you're there, it's really hard to get out of. Remarkably unremarkable. It's even to the point where when, if if you look in John chapter 4, it's not in our notes, but if you go to John chapter 4, when Jesus is being found out by the disciples, and they're starting to tell each other about Jesus, it gets to Nathanael. And Nathanael says this about, it says, what good could come from Nazareth? Like, he's saying, this guy, Jesus from Nazareth, he's coming. He's like, what good could possibly come from there? Like, that's the reputation of Nazareth, remarkably unremarkable. Well, Jesus comes out of the remarkably unremarkable, Mary is found in the remarkably unremarkable. And the truth about every single one of us, when we turn our lives over to Jesus, we go from remarkably unremarkable to incredibly remarkable, right? Because Jesus' children are remarkable. God doesn't do anything that is not remarkable. And to call us his sons and daughters means that we are remarkable, all right? But before Jesus and then after Jesus, there's that transition. And so he takes Mary, this young girl, out of this remarkably unremarkable town and says, I'm going to use you. It reminds me, this this theme is everywhere in the Bible. If you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel, a prophet from God, is sent to Bethlehem. King Saul is on the throne and God says his time is over. It's time to anoint a new king. I want you to go to the house of Jesse. He's got all these sons and you're going to find the next king of Israel there. So Samuel goes and it says this in verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, who is the oldest of Jesse's sons, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know what's really sad? You know what's really sad? Where we see unremarkable the most is when we look in the mirror. We look in the mirror and all we see is remarkably unremarkable. Because we're just looking at the outside and God's saying, no, no, no. I'm looking at the inside. You know what the Bible says about David? What God says about David later on in the story of David as king and says he's a man after my own heart. That's why he was selected as king. That's why he was selected as king. Because he was a man after God's heart. And that theme is everywhere. He uses Esther, who's an orphan. He uses Elijah, right? We just did that series not too long ago. A t- the Tishbite from Tishba in the middle of nowhere. He uses Mary. He uses Joseph, whose family hates him. He uses fishermen, Right? To be the disciples. He eats with prostitutes and tax collectors. The world says, that is, un- that is remarkably unremarkable. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I can change that to remarkable only. And so that's what he uses with Mary. And we need to change how we see ourselves when we look in the mirror. Stop telling yourself you're remarkably unremarkable. Stop telling yourself that you can't be used by God. Stop telling yourself that you don't have what it takes, that you're not qualified, that you're not smart enough, any of those things, that you're not good looking enough or whatever it might be. Because what you are calling, God calls remarkable. You're saying it's not remarkable. You're going against what God says about you. We need to look in the mirror and see how God sees us, as someone that is worth dying for. We're remarkable. You are remarkable. And he uses that. Second thing, it says that she's from Nazareth. She's pledged to be married. And in this, in this time, there were it's kind of three stages of marriage. There was the proposal, right, the, the, the official engagement, which is not like what we do now, right? There's no whatever, you know, uh, Sarah, I don't know, what, all the bells and whistles that come along with all the planning of the getting down on one knee and I'm going to have the flowers, I'm going to have someone far off, hidden, taking pictures and do all that, you know, cool stuff. The engagement then was the dads, right? They would come together and they would form a contract, Right? They would say, I agree in this, I agree in this, and the price here, and this is what's gonna happen, and we're gonna bring our, my daughter and your son, and we're gonna, we're gonna make this happen. That's the first stage. The second stage is, stage is the betrothal period, which is what Mary was in. That was about a year long, where the soon to be bride and groom would really get to know each other, right? Because it wasn't their decision. And they would prepare the room in the house, the, the bride would move in with the, the groom's family. And she would learn that family's dynamics and the, and the son would be taking part in the family business or whatever the trait was. And there was this whole year of that kind of transition in life happening. And then the wedding would happen, which is about a week long. So Mary is in this betrothal period, this year long, um, what we would call now the in, in being engaged. All right. And it says that she is highly favored. That's the third part. She's highly favored. Now. How we see highly favored and how the Lord sees highly favored can be two very different things. You know how we see highly favored? What we we think of when we think of highly favored? I got money. I got health. And here's the big one. I got comfort. All right? When I'm comfortable, I'm favored. And oh, how we pursue the God of comfort. It's a lowercase g, by the way. We pursue the God of comfort. Over and over, and that's what we see as favor. Imagine, y'all, if we pursued obedience the way that we pursue comfort. Imagine that. What would our life look like? What would our world look like? What would the church look like if we pursued obedience over comfort? Because to be obedient, 10 times out of 10, means to get uncomfortable. It means to get uncomfortable. We have to get out of our comfort comfort. To be obedient. And that's what God calls us to over and over and over again. Get uncomfortable, be obedient, and that's where the growth happens. That's where the growth happens. Listen, y'all, I'm gonna be real honest. We pray for favor, we pray for miracles all the time. And God's saying, I'm ready. When are you gonna get uncomfortable? We want God to do all the heavy lifting with the miracles in our life. And He's saying, I'm waiting to use you, you're the miracle. But we, we, don't, we don't want that. We just want comfort. God, do it. But he's trying to do a work in us. It's like the, it's like the four guys that brought their friend on the mat to Jesus who couldn't walk. They said, we're going to do the heavy lifting. We're your friend. We can be part of the miracle. So we're going to not just wait for Jesus to come one day knocking on the door. We're going to pick up the mat and we're going to take him to you. And what does Jesus say to the guy on the mat after they low him down on the roof? He says, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say you're healed immediately. He says your sins are forgiven. Why? Because he's making him remarkable. And it has nothing to do with him walking. It's a heart issue. And his friends are part of the miracle because they did the heavy lifting, bringing him to Jesus. And so if you're sitting in this room and you're waiting for that miracle, I want to ask you this. Instead of praying for that specific miracle, instead pray, God, what do you want me to do today? How can I be obedient to you today? How can I be obedient? I'm not going to pursue comfort anymore. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to to pursue obedience. What do you want me to do today? Because when we start being obedient to the things that God has called us to, he uses us as part of the miracle, and the miracle takes care of itself. The miracle will happen. The miracle will happen when we are obedient to the Lord. And it might not look the way that we thought it looked. Or want it to look. But the miracles will happen. If we get involved and we pursue obedience over comfort. God's definition of favor is, I am going to use you in a way that you never thought possible. That is favor. When God says, I'm going to include you in this story. God didn't need to use Mary. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need this worship team. He does not need a single person, but favor is saying, I am God of heaven and earth, and I'm going to include you in the work of eternity. I'm going to include you in heaven's work. That is favor. And so when the angel tells Mary, You are highly favored, he's saying, God is about to use you in a mighty, mighty way, but it's going to be uncomfortable. You might get uncomfortable. Are we willing? Listen, church, I, this is so heavy on my heart for this season we're in, but really even going forward, we have got to get uncomfortable and start inviting people to church and start telling people about Jesus. We've, we've got to do it. We've got to do it because the world needs us to. And we're having two services on Christmas Eve because last year, praise God, we had, we had all the seats all the way to the back. We had seats up against the back wall and I mean, we were pretty much packed. We couldn't really fit too many more people in. And so we're doing two services to accommodate that, but also because I believe God is putting it before us to invite people. And we need the chairs. We need the space to accommodate them. Christmas Eve service is about the future believer, right? It's about those that we desperately want to see come to Jesus. Will we pick up the mat And do the heavy lifting and invite them and get a little uncomfortable. I know that we can. Will we do it? It goes on to say in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I absolutely love Mary's reaction to what the angel has told her. She says, or says that she was greatly troubled, right? Like, oh, no. What are you about to have me do, right? Like this angel has come. You're highly favored. All sounds really good. But Mary knows. I mean, there's a reason that God chose Mary, right? She knows the word. We'll see that later. She knows the character of God. And when an angel comes to her and says, hey, you are highly favored, it means something's about to happen, right? Something's about to go down. So she's like, oh, no. Well, what are you trying to say? She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This is favor. This is God saying, I'm about to include you in something. And when God favors us, he uses us in ways that are beyond our wildest dreams. On her best day, on her best day, Mary would never have come up with what the angel is about to tell her. Oh, I'm highly favored? Well, that must mean that I'm going to have Jesus as my son, (laughs) right? You must be talking about birthing God's son, right? There's no way. There's no way on her best day that she would dream this up. You know what? The same is true with us. The same is true with you. When God calls us to something, he says, hey, I'm about to use you. On your best day, dream as big as you can. Make the biggest guess possible. And it's not even going to sniff what God has in store for you. Because his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He dreams bigger than we do. So much bigger than we do. Never would she have thought this. This young girl from Nazareth. A town that was remarkably unremarkable. She answers the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And this can sound a lot like Zechariah's question to the angel earlier in the chapter Zechariah is of doubt. He's saying, how do I know this is going to, like, how can I be sure of this, right? Give me some proof. Mary's going, she's in awe of this. I'm saying, how will this be? I'm a virgin, right? You got to explain this to me a little bit. The angel says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your rel- relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Amen. So her an- his answer is the power of the Most High God will, co- will overshadow you. When he says overshadow you, this harkens back to all the way back in Exodus. When Moses brings the Israelites out and they're called to go worship at Mount Sinai. It says the power of God, the presence of God overshadows the mountain, and it starts to rumble and thunder and lightning. And the presence of God is so powerful that people can, can't even stand. They can't even go up onto the mountain. They have to stay at the bottom. The angel, Gabriel, is talking about that same overshadow, overshadowing her. She's going, wait a second, that overshadowing? Yep, that overshadowing. Like, yo, <laughs> am I going to be okay? Talking about the Holy Spirit is going to conceive the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation yeah. is going to conceive in you. Like This is a huge deal. This is power that no human could possibly contain. Like, honestly, it should be to the point where, like, when this power, this overshadowing of the, Holy, of, the, of the Most High God comes over, we should, like, explode. It's honestly, it's too much. But in God's grace, in His protection over her, He allows it to happen. And with this power, the world isn't created. A mountain doesn't shake. But the Son of God is conceived. It's powerful. It says that is how this is going to happen. And what I what I think is so. Well, let's keep reading, and then I'll get back to that. Verse thirty-eight. It says, "I am the Lord's servant," Mary answered. "May your word to me, be fulfilled." Then the angel left her. In the Hebrew, where it says, I am the Lord's servant, it uses this term called a bond slave. A bond slave is someone who voluntarily enters into slavery. Like, I volunteer as tribute, right? It's that same thing. I volunteer to be a slave. Now, why would Mary say that? Remember, she's in her betrothal period of her marriage, for engagement. To walk this out, To do what the angel is saying is going to happen means that Mary is risking everything because she's going to be pregnant before she's married. She's a young girl, a virgin, who's about to be pregnant before she's married. She's going to lose her reputation, right? Because she can't go, no, 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 y'all don't understand. The Holy Spirit conceived in me. Like, oh, totally. That makes all the sense in the world. Crazy person. Right? She can't say that. No one's going to believe that. Her family is going to lose out on all sorts of money because they've signed a contract. And now she's not, they're not going to be able to hold up on that end. So who knows how her family's going to treat her. Who knows if she's ever even going to get married again. Because certainly Joseph's not going to want to marry her now. She's damaged goods. That, that, that hurts his reputation. So she might be single the rest of her life. She doesn't know how any of this is going to go down. When she says, I'm the Lord's servant, she's risking everything. She is voluntarily going into slavery, saying, God, I'm yours. And if no one else takes me for the rest of my life, I am yours. It's huge. Huge moment. She makes this commitment. And then it says, the last sentence of that verse, then the angel left her. It's all right, Lord, I'll do it. I'm your bond slave. May what you say come to pass. Silence. Where'd you go? Don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt like that? You know, you make this huge, bold step of faith God, I'm going to do it. And we're waiting for like the trumpets, right? And where's that parade? And "Ah, ah, ah." James is a great person, right? I said yes. Can I get a pat on the back? Can I get a plan? Can I get some sort of assurance? Can I get anything, Lord? I I just told you I'm your bond slave. I'm risking everything and then silence? The angel just leaves. He's like, okay, but what did he say before that? He says, no word from God will ever fail. He already gave her the guarantee. So he can leave. There's nothing more to be said. This is what's going to happen, this is how it's going to happen. No word of God will ever fail. Okay, you good? And then she says, I'm the Lord's. So there's nothing left for him to say. Listen, y'all, that's the word of God. It's there for us to read every single day throughout the day. At our lowest, at our most challenging, we can read that promise. And so let's never mistake silence for absence. And praise God that we don't ever have to walk in silence because we have the word of God. That written document, the Bible is what we call it. That we can open up whenever we need to and see the promises of God over our life. So never ever think silence is absence. But here's Mary making this huge, bold statement. And then the angel leaves. But no word of God will ever fail. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Isn't that amazing? The angel leaves, silence, and then Elizabeth says in that last verse, blessed are you because you believe it. In other words, the silence from the angel leaving didn't deter her belief. She's still believing because she understands that what the angel said was true, that no word of God will ever fail. And Elizabeth says, Blessed are you. She even says, Blessed am I that you would even come into my home. I'm blessed from your blessing, Mary. Isn't that incredible? And I, I love that, that the first thing that Mary does after the angel leaves, she packs her bag. She's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go hang out with Elizabeth. Can't wait to tell her about this. Remember, there's still no manual, there's still no instruction of how this is all going to happen. But here is this young girl who the world would see. As remarkably unremarkable, God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. How is he using us? Do we believe in the promises of God for us? And then the story transitions to this beautiful moment of Mary singing her song. And the words of her song go like this. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You know that in the first two chapters of Luke, there are four songs sung. Mary sings a song, Zechariah sings a song, the angel sings a song, and Simeon the prophet, who is in the temple, who dedicates Jesus sings a song. Isn't that crazy? Four songs, different people singing, all different walks of life, an angel, a little a young girl, virgin, a priest, and a prophet. Different walks of life, different ages, different genders. One's not even a person. <laughs> One's an angel. All worshiping. Because when you're in the presence of God, Worship is instinctual. It's instinctual. That's why, like, you can come into church and you might not be feeling it at all. or You don't even know what worship is, but the presence of God starts moving and all of a sudden you're crying. You're singing these songs that you don't even know. And it's, it's your heart is getting wrecked. It's because in the presence of God, worship is instinctual. And Mary is overcome with the love of her father her Heavenly Father, in this moment where she is a bond slave and she, don't, she doesn't know what's going to happen to her life, her reputation, and all those things. There's a million questions. But all she knows is that she is highly favored. That what the world saw as remarkably unremarkable, God saw as remarkable to the point where I'm going to use you and you are going to be remembered until Jesus comes back. That is reason to worship. And so she does. And her first words out of this song that she sings, we're going to break it down a little bit. My soul glorifies the Lord. The first words that she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. You know why that's important? Because an angel just visited her and said, you're going to have God's son. She could be like, yo, what's up? You know, My soul glorifies me, right? Because I was handpicked. I'm about to go tell some people what it's like, right? That have been looking down on me. And a lot of times our temptation is when when God starts using us, we suddenly make it all about ourselves, right? Look at me. But her first response, and again, this tells why God chose her, is to glorify the Lord. This isn't about me, Lord. This isn't about me. This is about you and what is to come. The Son of God's about to be on earth. My soul glorifies you, Lord. Praise you, God. You are awesome. And then she says, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary recognizes that she needs a Savior. God, my Savior. You are my Savior. It's really, I would say it's impossible to truly worship the Lord when we don't understand that we need a Savior. We're we're, we're singing songs about a really nice, good God. But when we understand that we need a Savior and that He is it, and that he saved us. And not just he saved but what he saved us from. Where he brought us from and where he has put us. From hell to heaven. From remarkably unremarkable to a child of God. We worship. We worship. When we understand that Jesus truly saves us. That he left. I, I, I try and I try and I try to explain the magnitude of Jesus in heaven. Coming down and being human on earth, loving us so much. We we sing that the song that Ben and the band played last week. Come and see. There's a line in there that says, The baby is born, all the prophecies true, only to die so that we are made new. The only reason that Jesus was born was to die. That's it. He wasn't on vacation. He wasn't up there talking to the angels saying, I wonder what it's like to be human. Let me go see. He said, they need a savior and I'm it. And so I'm going to be born so that I can die. Where all we do is try and avoid death at all costs. Jesus said, that's the whole point. There are no words because we don't know what he left. We don't truly understand how amazing heaven is. And the difference between being in heaven as the Son of God and being here on earth. We can't compare. So there are no words. But it's incredible. He came to save us. He came to save you. All of us. To make us remarkable. And to be part of the story. Thank you, Jesus, for that. She says, from now on, all generations will, be called, will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. So again, we see here, she's saying, yeah, I'm blessed. I get to be used by God. This is amazing. I don't know what's going to happen to my reputation. I don't know what's going to happen to my marriage. But I'm blessed. And it's because not of anything that I have done, but because of what God has done for me. Man, we love, we love to build ourselves up and create identities off of our own doing. I'm this, I'm that. I'm able to do this, I'm able to do that. I've earned this, I have that. And we call ourselves blessed because of what we've done for ourselves. But I'm telling you right now, if you walk with the Lord long enough, He will strip you of that. He will burn that off of you because those things are false. And He might, He'll do it, I'll say this, in whatever means necessary. And praise God for it. Because once He's done stripping us of all those things that we've accomplished for ourselves, of this identity that we build up in ourselves that's really like, uh, you know, a house of cards that will come crumbling at any moment. The things that we build up in ourselves can be gone like that. But when we understand that our identity is in Jesus, that can never be taken away from us. That is there forever. And so she says, oh, yeah, the generations are going to call me blessed. But it's because of what you, God, have done for me. I didn't earn this. Gabriel didn't come to visit me here in Nazareth because I got you know i memorized everything and i've lived life perfectly and because of all this and that and the other no 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 you've done this for me you've done this for me god and so i'm giving you all the credit i'm giving you all the glory i'm giving all of my worship to you i want the band to come back up as we finish reading the last bit of her song says so all the blessings uh For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She's talking about us. God's mercy extends to us. We are that one of those generations. And then it goes like this in verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So we start seeing the word of God coming out of her. She knows who God is, and it's He has done this, He has done that. He has brought down rulers, He has scattered those who are proud. What what she's saying there is those who think of themselves as their own God he's scattered and he's used the humble. He's used what the world sees as remarkably unremarkable and he's made us remarkable. That's what God does. That's how God sees you. He sees you as remarkable. He sees you as worthy to die for, valuable to die for. Mary is gushing right here. She's gushing over the goodness of God. She's worshiping Him. I want to say this to all of us in here. The three kind of ways to describe Mary in this story is she's favored, she's blessed and the Lord is with her. That's what we hear. Favored, blessed, the Lord is with you. What is going to happen is like the byproduct of that. We, we like to focus on what she's called to, right? What she's going to do. But the truth is she's favored, she's blessed, and the Lord is with her. And my one message to you all this morning is that you are favored and you are blessed, and the Lord is with you. He made it so when He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And just like Mary, it's not about anything that you have done. We can say that we are blessed because of what God has done for us. And what did He do for us? He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. To be born only to die. That was the purpose. So that you could be made brand new. So that you could go from remarkably unremarkable to remarkable. Used by God. Son and daughter of God. He loves you. He loves you so much. And if you're not feeling favored right now, this is what I want you to do. Worship. Just like what was said earlier. We weren't swapping nose before church, y'all. This is God, all right? Command your soul to worship. If your prayer is only, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, just that, just the name of Jesus. Know that the fact that you can say that to God means that you are favored. If we can pray, Jesus, help me, we are favored you don't feel blessed right now for a sinner going I, the last thing I feel is blessed worship worship and if you feel like the Lord is far from you I want to say worship nothing gets us back to the Lord like worship it's amazing you might not feel like any of those things favored no way blessed not a chance Lord is with me, certainly doesn't feel like it. Worship. And I also want to say, rather than just praying for the miracle to happen, you can pray for that, pray for that, but also pray with the Lord, what are you calling me to today? How, how can I be obedient to you today? How can I do some of the lifting here? Maybe I need to carry my own mat. Maybe it's a mat for someone else. But please, whatever you do, do not look in the mirror and see unremarkable. Don't do that. Cuz that's not the Lord. He used a young teenage girl from Nazareth. He said, "I choose you because you're humble." you love me you know when we love the Lord and he loves us nothing else matters that's all there is I just I just know that some of us in here need to hear this this morning that you are remarkable and stop beating yourself up for maybe things that you feel like you've done or said or whatever that have made you anything else besides that because Jesus saw you and said I'm going to come down and I'm going to be born in this little manger in Bethlehem and I'm going to live this life on this earth that's going to have all sorts of hurts I'm going to be rejected I'm going to be spit on I'm going to be nailed to a cross I'm going to suffocate I'm going to die for you because I love you and I'm never going to leave you so please hear that this morning. God takes the remarkably unremarkable and makes us remarkable, makes us his sons and daughters and uses us in ways that we could not dream. We could not dream it on our best day. So i want gonna stand up right now. and We're gonna enter back into worship. And I wanna say this, if we could have the elders come up too for some time of prayer. You need prayer this morning. You know it's fun. I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now. But I have so many people, not so many, I have people come up to me after church and say, That was such a good word. I really needed to hear that. That was for me. And and it's good. And I love that. But I'm I'm also thinking to myself, well, i mean really honestly, like, if it was for you, like why didn't you come up for prayer? Because we need it. We need to stand in an agreement. And if you need prayer this morning come up. It's not as scary as you think. But as we worship, we had this great opening worship. We did a few songs, and it was powerful. I mean, I'm like motioning to Ben, like, do that part again. It was so good, I just didn't want it to stop. But let's just jump right back into that place. I know it's, we have this tendency when, when the sermon is over, and the word, it's kind of like, okay, we're we starting to mentally check out. Let's not do that right now. Let's get right back into worship and give God the glory that is due His name. Let's give God the glory due His name, just like Mary worshiped. My soul magnifies the Lord. Let's do that now. And if you need prayer this morning for anything at all, please come up. And let our elders stand in agreement with you. Let our ministry staff stand in agreement with you. Senor, I love you. I can, say, I can say sermons like this till the cows come home, but you have to walk in it for yourself. It is for you. It's not just for the person next to you. It is for you. Amen. Let's worship.